It's good to see you all in the house of the Lord. Before I dump the clutch and throw it in overdrive, let me ask you all a question today. What is the perfect vitamin for a Christian? What is the perfect vitamin for a Christian? B1. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, turn to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Now, don't worry about what verse. We'll get to this in, and we'll get there in a minute. Be sure to put you a bookmark there in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, because we will be going elsewhere and uh, uh, looking at some other scripture, and then we will we'll be coming back. But. Uh, as uh, you're turning and getting ready to uh, read here in, in a few minutes, let me uh, uh, kind of set this sermon up a little bit for you today. This is something that happened a good while back, and it was on Facebook, and I'm not a Facebooker. I'll leave that up to Lori. But when I heard about this, I had to do some investigation. And there was a headline on Facebook, and the headline was, Five Ways... Americans change God. Now, when I heard that, I, the first thing I thought was, how can that be? We, we don't change God. And I'm not going to say it piqued my interest, but I, I, I was wondering how somebody could come up with that philosophy, that analogy, that line of thinking, whatever you want to call it, because first of all, God never changes, and I'm going to show you that beyond the shadow of a doubt today. So I was curious as to what this individual, if you want to call him an author, okay, we'll call him an author, had to say. And, and this is what he said, and I'm going to kind of quote this so I don't mess up. The author stated that theology claims God to be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but that throughout history, our concepts, our precepts, our line of thinking, if you will, about God has evolved. He claims Americans today are making God into our own image. We don't make God in to our image, we are made into the image of God. But according to the author, we as Americans are making God into our own image and making Him more about what we want Him to be and that this is nothing new. He poses a question. And his question is, is our God the same God today who was here and... 1629, or 1801, or 2000. Remember 2000, all the world was going to end. Or in 2023 today. His answer is no. My answer is yes. According to this author, God is likely not exactly the same God as He was yesterday. Not here in America not among people in the United States faithful. Here, God changes. End quote. Now, 
Let me interject a few things before I shoot more holes in this guy than a minibus. The first thing that I want to say before we start reading Scripture, I believe that the world creates, don't create God, but we simply believe in God. You know, I, I believe that the lost think they can create a God who serves their own agendas. But true believers of God don't. We simply believe. God is the creator. We just accept that. We believe that. But the thing about it is, Americans today, and you would have to agree with this in the society that we live, Americans today are fastening their hopes, their dreams, their, their, their uh, everything on whatever they can come up with. It might be false prophets. It might be material things. Uh, it, it might be whatever works for them at the present moment. But here's the thing. We as Americans, we claim to be a Christian nation, but how can we make that claim when our actions don't say that? When, when our actions don't demonstrate that? You know, we say that, that we here in America, we claim to be the land of the free and the home of the brave, but how can we say that when the majority of Americans are imprisoned by something? You know, we claim that we can have the American dream, but much of the population in the United States is living below the poverty line. So now my question is, is what has changed? Our attitude? Our line of thinking? Our perspective? Our beliefs? Or has God changed? Well, there's something else that I want to get go off on a tangent on here for a minute before we start reading. I think the world believes whatever you tell it to believe. In other words, if you say God has changed, if they put that headline on all the major news networks and say God has changed, there would be a huge part of the population that would agree with that. Believe that. If you tell the world that, or if you tell someone that the world is going to end tomorrow, they're going to believe that. If you tell someone they need to upgrade their iPhone, they're going to head to the phone store as fast as they can and they're going to upgrade their iPhone. Why? Well, I think people of the world have stopped thinking for themselves and have started depending on others to tell them what to do. And most of them, if they can't find the answer on this doodad, there's no answer to be found. Especially, Ted, if you can't Google it. You know, they depend on somebody else to tell them what's right for them, what they should do, what is best for them. Our nation, I feel, has become lazy. I feel like our nation has become expected. This nation thinks that everything should be given to them because for some reason they think that it is owed to them. 
My question is, what's wrong with getting dressed and going to work? Instead of sitting around on your behind waiting for the government to send you a check every month because you're stu- too stinking lazy to get off your can and go to work. I've been working for 45 years and I tell you I'm tired. I don't mind telling you I'm tired. I know there's people here probably been working longer than that. But the way I look at it is this. I work, I pay Social Security. Anybody that gets Social Security, I'm helping take care of. That's the way I look at it. And that's the reason I work. Hopefully when I get to that age, Curtis, there'll be money left there so I can get some Social Security. That is kind of a stretch right now. Trust me. But yet, something that I want to show you is this. Yet God willingly gives us the gift of salvation for free. It don't cost anything, but yet people don't want it. They would rather be infatuated with anything or something else besides being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Thinking that it's going to get them somewhere. The gift of salvation that, that, that God offers has not changed since day one. And it will not change till day end. The God that I know, the God that I believe in, has not changed from the beginning of time. He is exactly the same. And now I'm going to show it to you beyond the shadow of a doubt. Look in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Be sure to put your bookmark there. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Y'all there, amen? Look in verse 5. Let your conversation, that word conversation is conduct, be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If you don't have that verse highlighted in your Bible, you need to do that. Highlight it, underline it, do something. Especially, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me or can do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you or led over you, who have spoken unto you the Word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their, or the outcome of their conversation. That's that word conduct again. But look in verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the sermon right there in the nutshell. He doesn't change. Be not carried away by divers or various and strange doctrines. That word doctrines is teaching. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats. That word meats is foods which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. 
Now I want you to keep your Bibles open right there. And what I kind of want to do is just go through these four verses. But then we're going to have to go off chasing rabbits just a little bit. Now you notice in verse 5, you see that big old word covetousness. That's kind of hard for me to say. But Jesus is telling us that the good life has nothing to do with being wealthy. So beware of covetousness. And if, if that's hard for you to say, or you're thinking, what is that? In other words, he's talking about greed. Greedy desire for what we don't have. If you want to read more about that, look in Luke 12, 15. Now, the reason I point that out to you is this. This is exactly the opposite of what society usually says to us. You know, advertisers spend millions of dollars to make us think that if we buy more of their product, that we will be in better shape. We will, you know, we will be happier. We will be more in tune. We will be more in comfort. You know, we will be more comfortable. Have you ever thought why they do that? To entice us. You know, and, and, and I haven't heard. Has anybody heard? What, here we got the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. How much is an ad going to be on the Super Bowl this year? Curtis, Google it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I bet, I'll bet you a 30 second. I'll bet you I can't bet. But I, if I could, I'd bet that a 30 second ad is millions of dollars. You know, and, and how many people because the Dallas Cowboys ain't in the Super Bowl, are just watching it to see the advertisements because that's where advertisers throw everything they got at you because they're trying to suck you in. You see what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, that word coveted, beware of that. Now, seven million. Seven million, I knew he'd do it. Seven million for 30 seconds? Is that, is that for 30 seconds? 30 seconds, seven million dollars. I think I'm just going to go buy one and tell people, preach, listen to old preacher Martin. Seven million. You see what I'm talking about here? That's to pull you in. So how do we not be sucked in by this? We have to learn just to tune it out. Simply learn to tune out these expensive enticements and concentrate on the truly good life. And what is that? Living in a relationship with God and doing His work. Now before we leave verse 5, there's something else I've got to point out. And I've got to ask you a question. Are you content in every situation? Are you content in every situation? Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, well, I'd like to be, but that's kind of hard. It, it's difficult. But what did Jesus say? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God promises in His Word that He never will give us more than we can handle. 
Now we may think He's given us more than we can handle, but He's not. The secret is drawing upon Jesus' power. Drawing upon His His strength. Let me ask you another question. Do you have great needs? Or are you discontented because you don't have what you want? You know, there's a big difference between what you want, what you need, and what you get. So how do we not be enticed? And how do we not always just be crowned? Man, I wish I could have one of those. We learn to rely on God's power. We learn to rely on Christ's power to help us be content. If you're always wanting more, simply ask God to help you deal with it. Take away. Take away. This desire. Teach me contentment in every situation. And He will supply all your needs, but in a way that He knows best for you. And a lot of people struggle with that. What, what, why don't right quick, you, y'all ain't got nowhere to go. Flip to 2 Corinthians right quick, 12, the 19th, chap, uh, 19th verse. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the 9th verse. I'm sorry, not the 19th, the 9th verse. Second Corinthians 12, 9, y'all there? Amen. It says, My grace, notice this is Jesus speaking, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, why did Jesus say that? If you do a little research into what's going on here, you remember Paul. Paul had that thorn in his flesh. Y'all remember that? And y'all remember he asked God three times to take it away. What did he call it? He's, he said it's something that, that's a, it's a something from Satan sent to buffet me or torment me. I should have looked it up. What was it? An angel of Satan? What was it? Something of a... A, a messenger. Is that what it says? A messenger of Satan to buffet me. And, and he asked God three times to take it away. And, that, or Jesus, and that's what Jesus told him. He said, my grace is sufficient. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. My grace is sufficient. You know, now look, God's power is displayed in our weakness. And that should give us courage. That should give us hope. You see, when we start recognizing our limitations, then, then we will depend on God for our effectiveness. The problem is too many of us want to do everything in our own strength, in our own effort, in our own power, in our own energy. And Jesus is saying, my strength or my grace is sufficient. So that's the reason why we have to rely on Him. Now I want you to look in verse 6. Because in verse 6 it talks about fear. Fear 
is a dark shadow that envelops us and ultimately imprisoned us within ourselves. Everyone here, at some point, at some time in your life, has been a prisoner of fear. And you can sit there and say, oh, not me, preacher. Man, I'm ten foot tall and I'm bulletproof. Baloney! You've been afraid of something. It might be fear of rejection. It might be fear of misunderstood, uh, uncertainty, sickness, even death. I could go on and on and on and on and on. I think it was Franklin Roosevelt that said the only thing that we should fear is fear itself. But we can conquer fear simply by trusting in the Lord who brings salvation. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm 27.1, if we want to dispel the darkness of fear, let us remember that the Lord is my light and my salvation. You know, we can get all wrapped up in fear. And if we're not careful, it can control us. That's the reason why we have to learn to to overcome and, and fear and not be overwhelmed by it. Now look in verse 7. Every one of us probably knows someone in our life. I, I'm going to call him a brother or a sister in Christ that we look up to. We, we would like to be more like them in our Christian walk. And, and, and in other words, they, they, uh, uh, they you know, follow their example because they walk close to God. They spend time studying the Bible. They spend time in prayer. They're aware of God's presence in their lives at all times. And it does not matter what they're going through. They're solid as a rock. They don't ever waver. Now, I'm not expecting that you copy and do everything that they did. But that you do this, that you imitate the aspects of their beliefs and Christian conduct that modeled Christ's way of living. Every one of us knows someone like that. I've got two or three mentors that are like that. It doesn't matter what transpires in their life. It just don't seem to bother them. And their mentality is, God's going to take care of it. And there's something else that that I want you to see here. The Bible gives us a very clear picture, a very clear choice between two life directions. You see, every time... You have to make a decision. 
You either have to decide if you're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. The good thing or the bad thing. Are, 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 you, know, are, are you going to take that fork in the road that goes to the left or the one that goes to the right? Now, we want to say that we always want to go the right direction. I, I, I remember, and this is kind of goofy, but I remember Merle Haggard had a song. And it said, I could have stayed right just as easy as I went wrong. Every time we have to decide which way we're going to go. Let's just go look at that. Turn to Matthew the 7th chapter verse 13. Y'all got her? Amen? Amen. Notice this is Jesus speaking. Verse 13. Enter ye at the straight gate. What does that word straight make mean? Narrow. Narrow. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in threat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few be there that find it. You see, that's that fork in the road that we're talking about. That narrow gate, that narrow way. It it, it looks more difficult. It, It looks more treacherous. But it's the path that leads to eternal life. And you notice it's called narrow. That should tell us something. Now, don't misunderstand what's that saying. That does not mean that it is difficult to be a Christian, but that there is only one way to eternal life with God and and, and only a few decide to take that path. Not everyone will. You know why? Because, as I said, it looks treacherous. It, It looks steep. It looks hard. It takes a toll on your energy. It it gets lonely. Not many are on that road, but more than you imagine. And have you ever thought that some of them might be on that road because they are following your example? Have you ever thought that you might be the only Bible somebody is reading? Now, it just got a little more difficult, didn't it? Yeah, it gets slippery. And yeah, what have we been talking about in weeks past? The devil is going to try to do everything he can to knock you off of that trail. And he don't care what he has to do or how he has to do it. Despite the dangers, that narrow way, that hard way, that higher road is bound for a peak. It's eternal life. And you're going to make it. You know how I I know that? 
Because God has got a lifeline around you. And you're going to make it. So when you're tempted to falter, or when you fail in your faith, or you think about you want to turn your back on Christ, I want you to focus on what He has done for you. What He has accomplished in and through your life. And recall those folks that you admired because of their faith. And then turn into the Energizer Bunny and just keep going. Be that little train. I think I can. I think I can. And then when you get to the peak, I knew I could. I knew it. Now look in verse 8. Here's what I base this whole sermon on. And I forgot to tell you the title of this sermon is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not too hard to come up with a title when you got verse 8. There it is. But that is a confession of the changelessness of Christ. This right here is what shoots holes in that author that wrote that article, Five Ways Americans Have Changed God. What does it mean when it says God is changeless or Christ is changeless? It means that His character will never change. He's always the same. He persistently shows His love for us. He's always fair. He's always just. He's always merciful. Now, I know what you're sitting there thinking. You may be sitting there thinking, well, now I don't know about that. But He is. And the thing about it is, He's always that way to us who are so undeserving. So be thankful that Christ is changeless because He will always help you when you need it. And the other thing is, He will be there to forgive you when you fall. And as we talked about earlier, a lot of people don't want it. A lot of people are tempted to exchange the Christless, changeless Christ for something else that they think is going to get them further along in life. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Christ is our only security blanket in an ever-changing world. I I want to show you something else really, really quick, and then we'll go on. I want you to turn to Malachi, the third chapter. Malachi is easy. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Don't, don't, let, don't let that blow your mind and think, oh my goodness gracious, where is that one at? It's the last book in the Old Testament. I want you to look in chapter 3, verse 6. And I just want you to look at the first statement. Y'all got it? Amen? For I am the Lord, I change not. 
You see, that tells me if we trust in Him, we're secure. We're solid. Because we stand on the firm foundation in the universe, Jesus Christ. How many of y'all remember the old hymn? On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So now how or why would someone want to exchange the changeless Christ for something else? It doesn't make sense to me. You see, and here's what I want you to see. When we spend more time on ourselves than on serving Christ, we treat ourselves as being more important than Him, than our Creator. When we regard our finances as, as uh, rather than our faith in Christ, as, as our uh, security, the basis for our security, we give higher status to our finances, to ourselves, than we do to our Creator. So why do you want to trust in temporary things? Why do you want to trust in changeable things when we can trust in God who is eternal? Who never changes? So what do we need to do? We need to keep our focus on Christ. Our ultimate leader. Who unlike human leaders, will never change. Will never let us down. He has been and will be with us forever. So in this changing world that we live in, and you have to agree with me that it is changing rapidly and probably not changing for, for the better, but it is changing rapidly. So in this changing world, we trust in an unchanging Lord. Now go back to Hebrews. We got one verse left, but we got to look at verse 9 real quick. What I want you to see in, in verse 9 of Hebrews is this Christ is the truth, and the Holy Spirit who guides the church is the Spirit of truth. Satan, by contrast, is the father of life. What do we talk about in week past? There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, whatever you want to call it. And then there's the kingdom of darkness. And who rules the kingdom of darkness? Satan. And we all agree that he's doing everything he possibly can to knock us off of our feet. Now I want you to listen to me here. As followers of Christ, we have to be committed to the truth. That means that both our words will be honest and that our actions will reflect Christ's integrity. Now we know as Christians, Christians, Christ-like, that we should be growing. We should be maturing. Becoming more like Christ. So what that does is Christian faith provides a growth track, if you will, into the knowledge of truth. The more you study about God, the more you learn about Jesus, the more truth, the more understanding you will have. But along the way, 
How do we guard against being deceived by all the lies that are masquerading out there as enticing words? In this society that we live, folks, anything and everything is at the tip of our fingers. There is more information out there than we've ever seen in history. And yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but there's a lot of junk out there too. And you've got to be careful. You've got to be real careful. Now listen to me. If your growth track is too narrow, you become thick-headed. I get told I'm iron-headed all the time. But you become too thick-headed and narrow-minded. No one can teach you a thing. And before long, you can't teach anyone around you anything because they're not listening to you. You're isolated. Love disappears from your life. But on the other side of the coin, if your track is too wide and every idea is an exciting new possibility, you're going to spend a whole lot of time just keeping on track and risk some very dangerous detours. Just like me investigating this five ways Americans have chosen to change God. Are you with me here? Not a narrow, not too wide. So what's the answer? Right in the middle, we focus on God. We focus on Christ. We center on Christ. We ground ourselves in His Word. We learn daily about the Savior. We study the Bible. We spend time in prayer. And that helps us develop a theological knowledge. Stay humble. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, folks. You can be curious about the amazing complexity of of this old world that God has made. Ask a lot of questions about uh, assumption behind new ideas, but press towards wisdom. Pray for understanding. Pray for knowledge. Pray for wisdom. Look, folks, I want you to hear this. God has given you a mind. Don't stop using it. Now, I've got to wrap this up. The God of the Old Testament... It's the same God that's in the New Testament. And He will be so to His people forever. He is equally merciful. He is equally powerful. He is all sufficient. Folks, He still feeds the hungry. He still gives strength to the poor and the needy, the weak. He still welcomes repentant sinners. He still rejects the proud and the self-righteous. He teaches all that He says to love righteousness and hate integrity and iniquity. Christ is both our altar and our sacrifice. He sanctifies the gift. He never changes. He is not man-made. He is the beginning 
and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. To be a Christian in today's society, in today's world, is hard. Why? Because society tells us one thing and the Bible says another. Christians are different. We are set apart from the world. In other words, we are sanctified. And we may be called weird names. But that's okay. So was Jesus. If you want America back, you want your country back, your nation back, your community back, your neighborhood back, we've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to go back to the Word of God. If you don't like where this country is today, what do you think it's going to look like in 10 years? Or 20 years? Or 50 years. It's scary. Or to me it is. It's scary. So yeah. I'm going to say the world has changed. I feel like the world is changing faster today than it's ever changed in history. We've changed. Our attitudes have changed. Our perspective has changed. Our philosophies have changed. But God, no, He hadn't changed. He's still the same. So you won't change? You won't change? Stop posting and start living. Stop judging and start loving. Stop gossiping and start reading. Stop standing and start kneeling. God never changes. Go back to the basics and start from there. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for this time that we've had today in Your Word. Father, just thank You for the opportunity to be here. And certainly thank You for these folks that have come here today. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for guiding direct us. And certainly we ask that You continue to protect us in this very challenging time that we live. Father, forgive us where each one of us fails You. Father, you bless us over and over again, and you blessed us this week with rain and a whole lots of other ways. And we thank you for it. We praise you for it. Father, just help us as we leave this place. That we will go out and we will be that light. We will point, reflect people towards your love, your mercy, and your grace. Father, again, I pray for the folks that we have on our prayer list. 
different situations, different circumstances, Father, but we know You're involved in them. And we know and we trust that You're going to meet the needs of these folks. So as we leave this place, help us praise Your holy name and help bring us back at the next appointed hour. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.